Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome. I'm Jack Britton with LP Magazine's INLP, and today we're going to explore California's Proposition 47 and the impact that this legislation has had on retail, organized retail crime, and the community in general. Today's program is sponsored by Alto, a comprehensive collaboration program that combines technology, deterrent marketing, and intelligent prosecution, bridging the gap between retail and law enforcement to create safer retail environments. We brought in a number of subject matter experts to discuss the topic with us, all of whom have been intimately involved in managing the interests of retailers and the community in general in the aftermath of this legislation. Let's begin by introducing today's guest. Aaron Moreno is Senior Director of Government Relations for the California Grocers Association. Aaron is responsible for managing and coordinating state, regulatory, and local government relations programs. He joined after serving in the California State Assembly, where he worked for a number of legislators representing the best interests of the state of California. Bill Williams had an extensive career with the L.A. Police Department, where he oversaw the investigation of cyber crimes, significant theft and burglary crimes, auto theft, and fraud and identity theft. He was a founding member and law enforcement chair for the Los Angeles Area Organized Retail Crime Association. Lauren Naiman recently retired from the office of the Los Angeles County District Attorney, where he was recognized as one of California Lawyers' Attorneys of the Year. In this role, he served as the lead prosecutor handling high-technology cases. He also formerly served as Assistant Head Deputy in the Hardcore Gang Division. And we also have with us Carl Langhorst, who serves as Executive Vice President of Alto U.S. and Vice President of Grupo Alto. He is formerly the Corporate Director of Loss Prevention for the Kroger Company and also served as Director of Loss Prevention for Randall's and Tom Thumb Food Stores. Carl is nationally recognized as a subject matter expert on various loss prevention topics, including organized retail crime. Prior to his career in retail loss prevention, he also served in law enforcement for more than 25 years. Thank you, gentlemen. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us here today. Carl, can you briefly tell our audience why we're here today and why this type of topic should be important to them? Yes, thanks, Jack. Uh, since the passage of Proposition 47 in California, many retailers have, have experienced a steady increase of both shoplifting and organized retail crime incidents in their stores. Uh, this increase of incidents has not only impacted retailers' profitability, but more importantly, has created an influx of recidivist offenders that are more brazen and in many cases more hostile to store employees who are trying to deter their criminal activity. The, the panel of experts uh, that you noted uh, here today are going to share their insight on some of the unintended consequences of Prop 47 and the efforts currently underway to remedy those challenges. Why don't we start with Aaron? Uh, Aaron, can you give us some background on Proposition 47? What exactly is this legislation? Well, Prop 47. Um, obviously, in California, we have we have uh, ballot initiatives, and and people go to the ballot pretty regularly. Here, we have usually ten ten or so at least initiatives on every ballot, and that's people bypassing the legislature to pass legislation on their own. And and in 2014, a number of advocates went to the ballot directly to put. Prop 47 on the ballot, which um, was meant to do a, a number of things. Um, among them was to reduce some of the penalties for for certain crimes and to 
decriminalize certain types of crimes like the drug crimes and things like that. And, and it should be noted that at the time California was was facing uh, federal lawsuits due to prison overcrowding and, and you know there was certainly a need to address uh, the state's prison populations. I think at the time people thought it would play out a little bit differently. But again, uh, you know what what the voters basically approved was the basic decriminalization of, of you know, simple possession of, of certain types of, of drugs and, and narcotics. And what it also did was to reduce a number of property crimes from felonies uh, to misdemeanors. Okay, there, there was clearly some positive aspects of the legislation to the state of California. Did, can you tell us what those are? Well, like I mentioned, you know, at the time, you know, the state was was sort of under the gun for uh, prison overcrowding. So it did help to reduce the the populations in in the state prisons. And again, the other th- notable thing it did is is basically sort of decriminalize, you know, people who are addicted to drugs. You know, you had people in jail for uh, for possession of, of things like you know marijuana, small amounts of marijuana or cocaine or or, or things like that, where you know, th- those people could could be better served by 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 drug treatment versus you know time in prison. I think that was I think people uh, across the, the the political spectrum all agree that you know doing that was a good thing because it's a better use of resources rather than you know send somebody to prison, send them to 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 get the the help that they need, and and you know don't waste police resources on things that. You know, I have law enforcement friends who, before this law, would just, you know, they'd find somebody with with a bag of weed. They'd just, just stomp it on the ground and say, you know, get out of here. So, you know, I think that was probably one of, one of the good things that, that Prop 47 did. So then uh, I'm sure that had a big impact on uh, the finances for the state as well. I mean, having all those folks right. now out of prison. Sure. Okay, sure. So then what do you think are our greatest concerns? How How is all of this impacting the retail community? And more specifically, well, the loss prevention aspect, protection aspect of the business. Well, again, you know, going back to to one of the the changes of Prop 47 was it made a, a, a certain number of property crimes uh, that were previously felonies in, into misdemeanors. So, among those, most notably, are, were you know shoplifting, theft. So before Prop 47. The felony shoplifting was if you took anything from 450 or more would be a felony. What Prop 47 did was to um, basically say that um, so long as you steal $949, it will be charged as a misdemeanor. And and what that's done is in essence sort of you know, decriminalized you know shoplifting and 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 theft because you're having a lot of people who see this crime now as low risk high reward because you can go in and you can take so again so long as the, the amount of merchandise you you take from a store so long as that amount is under 950 even if the police do show up you know you can be guilty of sin, and and the the most they can do is is cite you as a, with a misdemeanor, which is basically a slap on the wrist. And what that's done is basically sort of sent the message to 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 people that yeah, you can walk into a grocery store and you know, take all this stuff. There'll be no consequences. And you've seen, you know, we've had our our members note uh, rises in 
shoplifting incidents and, and losses since 2014 when, when this change in the law came about. And it's just going to get worse, and, and it has been getting worse. And, and that's something that uh, not only, you know, puts companies in a bad place because that's that's money they're losing. Obviously, it leads to higher prices for consumers. And, and what you're starting to see more are, are cases of these 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 thieves becoming more brazen where now workers are in danger where you've had incidents here in California where you've had some workers uh, assaulted and and in some cases you know last summer there was a a security officer who was killed trying to to stop somebody from from taking you know stuff from a store so Again, this is one of the the unintended consequences where you know as much as prop forty seven did did do some some good stuff that everybody agrees were helpful uh, to to certain populations I think at the same time you know it it did bring about some bad things and because of the way the California Constitution deals with initiatives, you know the only way to amend an initiative is by another initiative okay so we've we've basically more than doubled the dollar amounts uh, to classify something as a felony. It went from $450 to $950? Correct. Is that correct? correct? So now... Yeah, so so now under you know post prop forty seven you know so long as you so long as the amount that you steal is under nine fifty you'll be charged with a misdemeanor. Okay, uh, Carl, uh, as a former retail practitioner yourself and a leader in the loss prevention community, what do you feel that this means for the industry? Well, what the retail audience uh, that is listening to this understands is that the challenges for for brick and mortar retailers uh, to be profitable continues to build. Uh, many retailers have dedicated a large amount of financial and human resources uh, to safeguard their people and their product. And while the criminal justice community wants to help retailers protect their assets, in, in many cases what they've seen um, is that they're being hindered in their efforts uh, by some of the well-intended aspects of Prop 47. Um, recidivist theft defenders, and, and again, to be perfectly clear, we're, we're not talking someone stealing just uh, for personal need, uh, just to feed themselves or their family. We're talking about habitual offenders that continually steal because they can get away for, uh, with it. Uh, they're, they're very well aware of, of Prop 47 and the changes, and they now know that there's little consequences uh, for their actions and they're taking full advantage of that fact on a daily basis. So specifically, this can have a pretty significant impact on organized retail crime then. That seems to oh, be one of the biggest areas we have a problem. Absolutely. Um, obviously, not just in California, but across the country, organized retail crime is, is a significant challenge. Uh, but, but California is... Uh, consistently rated as the highest in the nation uh, for organized retail crime activity. So that kind of leads to my next question here for Aaron. Um, Proposition 47 is specific to the state of California here. Um, From a more global perspective, why should those outside of the state of California be concerned about this legislation then? Well, I, I think a lot of a lot of states look towards California for for you know, inspiration for for laws of their own. You, know, you often see legislation that that is passed in California. You know, you'll see other states states follow suit pretty quickly. So, I, I think that that the 
the goal perspective here is that I think with California having tried this this change in law and and you know sort of seen Prop 47 work, and again they've they've seen the the, the good parts of it work, and and I think. You know, you've, you've seen other states make moves towards, you know, decriminalizing, you know, uh, possession of certain types of, of, of drugs with the understanding that, that people need treatment more than jail time and, and that is more beneficial in terms of outcomes. I think other states are, are, are doing that, but I think when it comes to rethinking their policies on, on how to deal with, with things like, you know, theft, shoplifting, things like that, I think other states who who have made similar changes or are considering making similar changes might look to to California and say well eh, you know maybe maybe it's time to to reconsider our own laws that are similar or if we are considering passing them in the first place maybe we want to take a second look because you know in the time that this has been long California you know we've seen these numbers associated with theft increasing and you know maybe we should you know reconsider what direction our policies are going in terms of of how to deal with these types of crimes you know let's let's get bill's perspective on this bill you've had an extensive career with the la police department and have worked closely with many different retail loss prevention teams dealing with all different types of retail crimes over the course of your career i mean you've also we're a founding member and uh, the law enforcement chair for the uh, Los Angeles Area Organized Retail Crime Association. So from your perspective, what have been some of the effects on retail theft and organized retail crime since the passage of Prop 47? Well, first of all, I'd like to associate myself with the comments that uh, Carl and Aaron have made in terms of the increase of of theft crimes. That's been significant uh, in the LA area and, and, and uh, I'm sure all over the state. In addition, um, I, we, we have seen uh, different uh, groups getting more involved in, in, in uh, theft crimes because of the, 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 the perceive, perception that uh, they, there is no penalty or a, a lesser penalty in, in involving themselves in, in theft crime. For example, we've seen a number of gangs get involved uh, into things that, uh, in theft crimes that they uh, in the past have not been involved in, and uh, other felons that uh, were involved in more violent type crimes like robbery and so forth are now looking at some of the theft crimes because the penalty is, is, is much less. One thing that's particular um, that uh, was, was concerning to me is I, when I was the captain over commercial crimes division in LAPD, I had a surveillance unit that were out go out and surveil um, these individuals who were involved in themselves into uh, these uh, retail theft. And uh, when we were able to, to capture them for some of these, these crimes, especially, the, uh, for, for example, for a misdemeanor theft, if they had a um, conviction of a, theft, a prior theft, we were able to arrest them under uh, a petty theft with a prior, 666 PC in California. And now that has been taken away, and that's a tool that was very, very effective and helpful to us. And so we've seen some of those things that have been very, very concerning, at least to me, in terms of our ability to address retail theft. So let me let me understand that correctly here. You're saying that if somebody commits uh, another crime, it, it it isn't compounded by the fact that they've been arrested for that crime before. Well, right, right. In the past, if there, if if you had been convicted for a a, a theft crime. If right. the police were to arrest you again, we could rest, could have rest you, and actually that would be a felony. 
uh, to right. for selling, but that no longer is, is available. That that no longer is the case. That's correct. So, so based on the way that the law currently stands, how important is it, in your mind, that uh, loss prevention teams and law enforcement continue to develop these partnerships and work together in the different programs like the ORCAs, the Organized Retail Crime Associations, to deal with retail crime? Now, what are some of the additional strategies that you think they should look at to combat uh, retail crimes? I think it's essential that uh, we work in collaboration. It was it was essential um, several years back, and currently it really is in terms of working with law enforcement, uh, the law enforcement system, prosecutors, and retailers, and even outside vendors, if you will. Law enforcement, because of the laws and, and the prosecutors, their hands are, are they are they they are very. Uh, uh, involved, however, their resources are, are, are not what it once was. And if you have individual companies that really can deal with uh, assisting law enforcement and the retailers, such as Alto, I think it, it, it's very beneficial to, to the, the community and also uh, the uh, retail community as well as law enforcement and, and prosecutors. I think these uh, Alto, for example, can take up the slack where law enforcement can't uh, get uh, uh, their personnel involved, and also where the prosecutors to assist the prosecutors in in more packaging the the case better, <clears throat> so we could uh, get a a conviction or the possibility of a conviction is increased because of what they are, have been involved in. So I think to wrap it up, I believe a collaboration is essential. Okay, Lauren, you worked for many years uh, for the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office. And I also know that you're considered an expert on Proposition 47. So what impact has Proposition 47 had uh, from a prosecutor's standpoint, from both a, a positive and a negative point of view? Well, you know, the only positive aspect I can think of is that there are now fewer people in state prison, which grants a cost savings to the state. But you have to remember that since Prop 47 was voted into law in 2014, more than 13,500 prisoners were released to the streets. And another 200,000 felony convictions were retroactively made misdemeanors. The real question is whether or not this is a net positive or an extreme negative for the community. And the bottom line is that there are clearly people who should be in jail who are now out. So we have people that were in jail uh, serving sentences, and because of the changes in the legislation, were they released? Is that what um, to understand from what you're telling me based on the new uh, statutes and the way that it was written? Yes. They were not only released, but their release has caused an increase in crime. Crime is way up. Uh, here in Los Angeles, uh, Long Beach, Glendale, property crime rate is up 9.72%. In Anaheim, Santa Ana, and Irvine, it's up by 23.88%. And to make matters worse, during the past two years, we've seen officers shot and wounded and killed by veteran felons who are on the street in, in times when uh, previously they would have been in custody. There's been a number of uh, uh, evils that have uh, taken place affecting the court, uh, the courts have suffered greatly increased burdens because of what's going on. 
we have created a revolving door for many individuals who are in custody one day, out the next day, and back in custody the next day. Our drug courts have collapsed because the defendants are no longer compelled to go into drug rehabilitation. There's no way of forcing them because there is no jail sentence at the end of the line. We've got um, people serving uh, time for these thefts under $950 or petty theft with a prior. They've now discovered that theft is a consequence-free crime. What Prop 47 has done is created a, a wholly new criminal culture where criminals know that they face almost no punishment for their crimes. Uh, and the bottom line is that people who previously would have been in state prison are at best being housed in county jail where they do almost no time. And one report that I just read suggests that on a six-month sentence, which is the maximum term on a petty theft, they serve zero days in jail. They will be released immediately following their arrest. Um, so somebody that's arrested today could be back out on the streets almost immediately. Correct. And ba and Not back only in our stores. Be out on the street almost immediately, but even if sentenced to the maximum, they could be out on the street almost immediately. From a prosecutor standpoint, where do you think can make some improvements in Proposition 47? You know, there's two areas where I think there are some issues that have uh, come forward which specifically affect recidivism. The first is that with the elimination of the crime of petty theft with priors, we created a, an atmosphere where people who are constantly committing theft offenses feel that they can keep getting on with it and keep getting away with it because there really is no punishment that can affect their uh, decision-making. The other place that it can be affected is the fact that we have reversed decisions where uh, the recidivists would have had a felony prior that could have been attached to a new offense, and those have been eliminated. Those two areas are problematic from the position of a prosecutor because it removed deterrence that was previously used not only to send people to prison, but to apply pressure so that they would go to a uh, some sort of class or do something to help rehabilitate themselves. So what are we proposing then, Aaron? I mean, what types of amendments to the legislation are we looking for? You know, who's involved in those efforts and how are they involved? Well, as I mentioned before, the, the, in California, the only way to amend uh, a ballot initiative is by way of another ballot initiative, unless there's some language in, in the original measure that provides for amendment without it. So in the case of Prop 47, it's pretty clear that you can't amend it unless you're furthering the goal of the measure. So the only way to make any considerable changes to Prop 47 would be by another initiative. And to that end, Assemblymember Jim Cooper, who is a, a state assembly member from the Sacramento area, who is a you know, former deputy sheriff uh, for Sacramento County, uh, he and the Sacramento County District Attorney Anne-Marie Schubert have come together to draft an initiative to put forth to, for signatures 
for inclusion on the November uh, 2018 ballot that would do a number of things. Uh, among them is to deal with the the issue of theft, and, and what it would do is, is on the theft piece specifically, is to say you get your you get your two free 950 thefts, you know, because I think that the thought process was that you know, for for better or worse, the people did um, approve Prop 47, so so they they did see a value in you know, sort of giving uh, or being somewhat more merciful, I guess, when it comes to to theft. But after your your second misdemeanor theft of 950. Your third one becomes a felony at at 250. So in other words, you get your two free ones at 950. But on your third one, if, you, if you're found taking uh, 250 or more, it would be charged as as a felony. It actually, as a wobbler, no, but, which you know, is is you can be charged either as a felony or misdemeanor. But in most cases, people will charge it as as a felony. Would that be retroactive then, if people have previous convictions, or or is that something that starts over? Do we know uh, that? You know what? I, that is actually a good question. I believe it'd be moving forward because I, I, I think you, you can't. Uh, there's double jeopardy issues in terms of of uh, a new crime being created, and then you, you've already done your 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 time for for other crimes. So I have to get back to you on that, but I'm I'm pretty sure it'd be um, moving forward from the date of the passage of the initiative. Okay. The, these amendments that you're talking about, do they have a name? Do we know? Is there some type of legislation that people can look for so so again uh the Sam member cooper and district attorney uh schubert have submitted language for this initiative and they're sort of in the beginning process of getting of qualifying this for the ballot so in california once you draft language for an initiative it's got to go to the attorney general who assigns it a, a title and gives it a, a summary so that um, it can go to the public um, to gather signatures. So you know, to, to qualify this for the ballot, they would need to collect about 300 and uh, rounding up, call it you know 370,000 signatures in order to qualify it for the ballot for November 2018. So it doesn't have a, a, a number yet, but what I can say is is that I, I know the proponents have put together a website, and and the website is keep calsafe.org um, if, if people want to go and, and check that out. And then if people, for, for people who are on Twitter and, and that sort of stuff, the, the Twitter handle for this is uh, at keepcalsafe. So again, the, the website address is keepcalsafe.org and the Twitter address is at Keep Cal safe. So, you know, for for people who are interested in, in following the efforts uh, to qualify this for the ballot, uh, I would encourage them to check out the website and and to to follow the the Twitter uh, handle and to you know ask people that that they know to follow the the, the Twitter handle as well. Okay, Carl, what's what's Alto's role in all this? I mean, how are you involved in what's going on in California with the, with this legislation, and, and what role do you guys play? Well, Jack, uh, Alto this uh, past year has had the unique opportunity to be able to have in-depth conversations with not only retailers, but law enforcement and prosecutors in California. And they've repeatedly shared with us their frustration on how recidivist theft offenders are not being held accountable for their criminal acts. 
Uh, we understand from this feedback that this problem not only impacts retailers, but as you've already heard from our, uh, our other uh, panel members, it also negatively impacts the, the communities. Um, and so it's, it's much wider than, than just a retail issue or just a law enforcement issue. It is really a community issue, what's happened. And Altol's goal is to support the education efforts underway to remedy some of the unintended ill effects of Prop 47 uh, through the ballot initiative that Aaron just noted. Okay. Aaron, how can our listeners get involved? I mean, what steps can they take to help support these efforts? Well, again, I would encourage people to to visit the website um, to to bookmark it to share it with with friends of theirs if if they're living in California, as well as to to follow the 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 campaign on Twitter. You know, I, I know at, at in California, it's qualifying something for the ballot. It's a it's a daunting process. Um, you know, both logistically and financially, and I think you know the, the advocates would would tell you that at this point they they just need money to to you know pay for signature gatherers to to qualify for the ballot because I think the the feeling is is generally that you know if this qualifies for the ballot it would pass pretty easily. I, I think the challenge that people face right now is qualifying it for the ballot and. You know, uh, for for better or worse, with the initiative process in California, it, it all boils down to money to be able to to pay to gather your signatures and and run your campaign. So, I, it, to to be perfectly frank, I, I think money is is something that that you know, people need to get this going. And and I would note that on the the website keepcalsafe.org, there is a a button where you can go to to uh, donate money if people are so inclined. Okay. Well, unfortunately, that's about all the time that we have for today's discussion. Thank you, everyone. Uh, we would like to thank Aaron, Bill, Lauren, and Carl for taking the time to speak to us today, and especially to our sponsor, Alto. If you'd like to review the podcast again, an archive version is available and can be accessed by going to the magazine website at losspreventionmedia.com. The podcast will also be available on the Alto website at www.alto.us. We would also like to thank our listeners. We appreciate your time and attention. Have a great day, and please join us next time for LP Magazine's Eye on LP.